talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. Hello and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at season two of Loki, first seen in October 2023, when, if you wanted to look clever in front of your friends, you could have watched Crime Feed, Raid the Cage or, well, Frasier instead. I'm Tim Worthington and we'll be finding out what I thought of season two of Loki shortly, Meanwhile, joining me to give her thoughts on season two of Loki is writer and author Gabby Hutchinson Crouch. Gabby, where can people find you? You can find me as Scriblet on either Twitter, I'm still calling it Twitter, or Blue Sky. I'm technically on Mastodon as well, but I don't really post there. I'm mostly on Blue Sky, fun stuff on Twitter for shouting. You can also buy my books if you like my words. I've got the Darkwood trilogy out, which is a family-friendly comedy fantasy series, and the Vox trilogy, which is a, a supernatural comedy adventure series, and those are both available from all good bookshops and one evil bookshop. Okay, so before we go any further, Gabby, what happens in season two of Loki? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't understand a lot of it. So what happened, right, what happens in season two of Loki is Loki can time travel now for reasons that aren't clear. And he accidentally time travels a lot. And then that becomes like really, really, really unimportant about half of the way through the first episode. And you get a lot of other characters doing other things. They go back to the 19th century and ride a bike. And basically, Loki, the show, forgets that Loki is the protagonist for the vast majority of the series. And people appear and disappear. And I don't really understand why. But there's like a whole timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly going on. And then in the end, Loki turns out to be a hero. And the main thing that happens in Loki series two is that Marvel present us with having just crashed and burned with Loki fancies a female version of himself and they have no chemistry and the female version of himself isn't into it they start leaning more into a sort of a bromance that's so hard it's practically a romance with a middle-aged man and they do not kiss at all (laughs) okay well this time I've not got very much to choose from here because as I will come back to there aren't really very many new characters in this so all I can ask is Gabby how much did you know about Victor Timely before you saw this? Nothing was he a character in I thought they just made him up. He is he is a Kang variant right. but I mean let's just get the elephant in the room out mm. of the way first. At the time of recording, I say we're waiting to see, I'm not particularly monitoring it, but what happens with Jonathan Majors in relation to, you put it extremely well on Twitter a while back saying he was credibly accused. Yes. We went there, we don't know what went on, there was some kind of altercation and basically I would say it doesn't look good in either sense of that phrase. No. So there was a lot riding on what Marvel do next with him, which I will come back to later on, but... 
his presence in this is not what I expected it to be, even though, at the very least, the vast majority of it was shot before any charges arose. Mm. Yeah, it's an odd one. He's such a, he is a really good actor and he is so watchable and so charismatic, especially as Victor Timely sort of rounding out that character even more, making him more sort of likeable. But I spent that it's just the, the accusations that have been made against him made me sort of disengage quite a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, it's one of those things, <laughs> one of those things, unfortunately. But I mean, Victor Timely was a really really interesting character and he was very well played and very charismatic a bit Dwayne Dibley I thought yes yes having seen Kang as this very sort of all-knowing godlike very sort of smart slick clever character who's always like one step ahead of everybody else to yeah see him as just a sort of shambling Victorian <laughs> with like a basically a sideshow was really interesting he gets menaced by a cartoon clock but most of Victor Timely's story he's getting sexually harassed by a Powerpuff girl I will say actually I think they underused the whole Miss Minutes strand in this because you know she went very very evil and though she knew a lot that they didn't and then suddenly just stop but I will say when it kept defaulting to that sort of shutdown icon of Miss Minutes that really basic sort of scion organiser from 1988 version mm. of it I found that quite creepy and frightening actually it was like I don't know it's the same sort of effect as you know when you see the transmitter information slides on the BBC where it just had things that it felt like you had no business looking at and I think they did that really well but they seemed to forget that they were doing anything with it halfway through yeah as I say I still love the aesthetic of Loki. The show's aesthetic is gorgeous. This beautiful sort of bleak brutalism that they've got going the whole way through and their tech that, as you say, all of their tech looks like an emergency broadcast during the late stages of the Cold War. It is beautiful. and But they did seem to completely forget about these minutes because as we were getting to the end of the last episode, I was thinking, well, this can't be the end because they've got that whole thing with Miss Minutes where her and Judge Renslayer go to the end of time and there's that big sort of thing where Miss Minutes is like I'm gonna tell you something that's gonna make you awful mad and I thought oh they're gonna Miss Minutes and Judge Renslayer is gonna they're gonna team up and they're gonna become like they're gonna become the big bads and then it just sort of it just sort of stopped and yeah Renslayer was getting her comeuppance and there had been no there's an alt-right in series two of Loki something that really annoyed me there was a lot of just stuff happening where it wasn't clear why or how it was happening it felt like because this was only six episodes one of the last series 10 episodes it felt too it felt too condensed like it wasn't telling us the plot felt really sort of cut up and for a while me and the people I was watching it with because I do a sort of a Friday night watch along with a couple of friends and we were like this must be like a wibbly wobbly timey wimey thing they'll explain this they'll explain why B12 keeps appearing and disappearing she kept it <laughs> she'd like she'd suddenly be in a scene that she hadn't been in until five minutes into that scene so like, oh, where did she come from and then she would just like go off <laughs> and it again it wouldn't be explained why she wasn't there anymore so we thought that was like oh they're going to explain this and then they just didn't that happened a lot in series two and I don't know whether it was like 
them poorly editing it and trying to cram too much into six episodes and just cutting out a lot of the journey and a lot of the logic about why this character why is this character doing this how are they doing this it just didn't explain a lot of it and that happened with the end scene of the judge it's like what what she how <laughs> well at the risk of jumping around unsatisfactorily through yeah. time like the series itself does we're gonna have to jump back and forward to address some points because i was yeah. going to bring this up later but my suspicion is i will come back to what i think has happened with regard to kang and the shortness mm. of this series but my suspicion with Renslayer is that you know one of the upcoming films is the kang dynasty and a lot of people have been saying, oh, how are we going to cope with, you know, Jonathan Majors mm. when they got that coming up? Well, the Kang Dynasty comic was actually mostly about his son. Right. So I'm wondering if she's his daughter. Oh, maybe. I mean, that, yeah. that's possible. That's a get out clause, I think. It is, yeah. I mean, like I say, a lot of it felt all over the place and not necessarily in the way that Loki should. Yeah. But the one thing I was really saying to say, but this was hammered home by the fact that I watched the final episode, then went straight to see the Marvels. Is that Loki, both series, have been something that has been largely missing since Spider-Man Far From Home, I think, which is just a sense of fun. If you look at everything that's come out since then, I would even include things like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness, you know, even Thor Love and Thunder. They are light in tone, but they deal with some very dark things go to some very bleak places. Speaking mm. of Kang, you got Ant and the Wasp Quantumania, which for all its problems, one of them is not that it gets absolutely brutal in the middle when Kang's yeah. had enough of them. And there's that horrible prolonged sequence of him basically torturing them. Eternals doesn't have many jokes in it, let's be honest. Werewolf by Night is a horror show. Werewolf by Night is, I will put it to you that Werewolf by Night is a fun one. It's fun, because but for people like us, not, but not maybe for the sort of people who like it when Peter Parker makes a joke. I think they might struggle. But, I mean, obviously, you know, there has been Hawkeye has had that tone. Mm-hmm. The Marvels, Ms. Marvel, Shang-Chi, yeah. She-Hulk. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, does that count? Because that was a Christmas special, so it wasn't mm-hmm. exactly going to go grotesque halfway through. But... I wonder if that is a small part of the jigsaw that has created this huge Marvel backlash. Because when you think that even the Sony films, even Venom and Morbius, have had a more playful tone than a lot of what's been going on. Mm. I think cumulatively, but a time when people don't need it, maybe that's worn them down. But Loki, very much not that, I will say. Yeah, yeah, it is fun. Although I missed, I really missed the fun of the first series. There was nothing that was like tonally like that episode where he meets all the variants and himself and Richard Lee Grant is screaming in tights. When Renslayer ended up there at the end, I was like, the alligator's going to come back and he didn't. I missed that. I missed the bisexual train of Norwegian drinking songs. It did sort of have that missing. And I know that they went on a little adventure to a 19th century world fair and that kind of had that. That kind of had the same fun as the bisexual moon of doom. But even with that one, it was all about Victor Timely. For everything bar the first and last two episodes, it felt like they'd forgotten who the protagonist of the show was. Like Loki in when they go to the World Fair, he's a tertiary character in that story. He is literally on the back of a tandem, just sort of <laughs> cycling around. The last two episodes I really did enjoy because A, it, it remembered <laughs> who the show was about. And we got some really good sort of wibbly wobbly timey wimey and we got some really nice sort of Loki redemption, which 
I mean, that's what the show's about. Loki is a story about... Loki the series is about the first Avengers movie, Loki, at that point of his redemption arc. So, like, when he really needs to be redeemed. Sort of going through this really sort of speedy redemption and becoming a big damn time hero. And the last two episodes finally concentrated on that more and I'd have I'd have just liked it to be more about that and less about Kang I'm not really that interested in Kang <laughs> while we're talking about new characters there is Ouroboros yes I was going to come on mm. to him next absolutely brilliant I also think it's interesting that we are told every day multiverses everyone's had enough of them they're destroying cinema and here you've got Kihoi Kwan who was in everything everywhere all at once which yeah. was brilliant another thing mm-hmm. about a multiverse so obviously they're all right when they're critically acclaimed and half the films in the foreign <laughs> language that's okay then <laughs> he is so good anyway and i'm so 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 glad that he is having this renaissance he's always been amazing but he was sort of after being a child star he sort of ended up as a former child star with like not much that he was able to do except i mean he was a really excellent fight choreographer i think for a long time so he sort of worked in more in crew than in cast but it's been amazing to see him get this sort of middle-aged renaissance as a leading man obviously the man won an oscar for best leading man he is wonderful i really really love kehe kwan what can i say about it he's really funny i'd certainly like to see more of ouroboros if we're allowed to i loved the episode five thing with all of those guys non-variant lives i mean are those their sacred timeline lives where he's like a science fiction writer who has to be a physics professor as his second job I love that. Like, yeah, I'm a genius. It's my second job. I want to be a schlocky sci-fi writer. That's my dream. That's my passion. That was really, really sweet. And yeah, finally we get to see that Morbius is a jet ski salesman called Don. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that was really nice. As I say, I think I enjoyed episode five the most because, you know, it was centred on the protagonist of the show and it was all about his redemption and it was all about like his friends. I've got a real soft spot for a found family and this sort of feeling that after... So from this Loki's point of view, his family have rejected him because he has only actually lived through Thor 1 and Avengers 1. So he's very much in the stage where he hasn't had that redemption arc with his own family who are an adopted family as well I keep getting his birth family are ice giants you know he doesn't know them but his adopted family he hasn't had the redemption with but he has been able to sort of find this found family of other losers like him and he clearly adores them and I think that's so sweet I'd have preferred it if it had been like instead of we're just going to ignore Kang and we're just going to make it about Loki and his little family including Ouroboros Hey, how's my only regular doing? Oh, yeah, fine. Don't you ever go home? Well, I can hear more. Well, I'm glad of the company tonight. Rough day? How better? I got just the thing. This will either cure what's ailing you or make it a whole lot worse. We really need to work on your sales technique. Thank you.
again jumping around in sort of the timeline order, the sacred timeline order of how mm. I intend to talk about things here, I cannot figure out, it could be a double bluff, but they have given themselves a good get-out clause for moving on from Kang. Mm. I'll be honest with you, I was quite excited when it first started to become, as will be obvious from the episode we did about season one of Loki, you know, mm. when the first hints were dropped that Kang was going to appear. As it went along, I did start to think, this is all a bit Thanos too. This is somebody mm. who's making the bad decisions on behalf of everyone else and some people are saying, well, hang on. And it seemed to be just the same thing again. And I get the impression that, obviously partly because of what's happening in real life, but maybe because of that, there's an attempt to draw a line here. You know, they do actually say, well, we're keeping an eye on all the variants, we'll stop them. There was some trouble with one in there, 616, but I mean come on, Ant-Man and the Wasp beat him, so there can't be much of a problem. So there's clearly that. There is talk at the moment of people saying, well, what are they going to do instead? Is Doctor Doom going to be the next big bad? I mm. don't think Doctor Doom, brilliant as he is, is a big enough adversary to be behind 20-odd films. Or so. I think it's going to need to be somebody like Galactus, and obviously what the Fantastic Four coming up, or the Beyonder, who is multiversal, and I really want them to do him just to see if they will dare to base him on Thriller-era Michael Jackson like they did in the comics. <laughs> I really do think they have basically tried to draw a line under Kang here. And they've got other multiversal things going on that are being introduced. Obviously, there's Doctor Strange being in trouble for that incursion. There's whatever is going on with Peter Parker. There is something in the Marvels, which in case people haven't seen it, I won't say just yet. There's also in Werewolf by Night, Man-Thing guards like a meeting point Mm. of multiverses. That is his sort of calling. There's all these other things they can do. So they don't necessarily have to do this. It feels like they've moved on from what they were originally planning to do. And weirdly, it felt like a bit of a relief when that happened. I can't explain that, but it sort of did while I was watching it. Yeah, maybe. As I say, I don't know. There was just so much that I didn't comprehend about it. I guess because, like, Victor Timely now doesn't get the book, but then that leaves the hole as to how does Ouroboros write the book, because there's a whole thing that Ouroboros and Victor Timely are sort of locked in this sort of constant time loop with each other where they both exactly copied each other's homework, (laughs) but they're both inspired by one another and it it doesn't make it clear whether maybe somebody else has inspired Ouroboros to write the book maybe it was Loki because obviously Loki does like the friend who I was watching this with said did Stephen Moffat write this episode about the last episode it was very very (laughs) I mean Loki was absolutely channeling the 11th Doctor throughout that whole episode where he just like basically he groundhog days everybody he's stuck in this time loop where he's trying to fix the loom and he ends up basically doing what Bill Murray did to learn the piano. (laughs) He just, he has to take a hundred years worth of time loops to learn everything that Ouroboros knows. So maybe Loki and Ouroboros now are in the time loop where they've influenced one another. But again, it does not make that clear at all. It kind of feels like Loki has taken Kang's place, but in a less shitty way. (laughs) He's just basically become (laughs) Migdazil. He's become the tree. Which looks like the tree from the old Meltis Newbury fruits box <laughs> which given that joanne shepherd mentioned that the actual infinity stones look like melters newbury fruits it's some kind of york fruit cinematic universe <laughs> I mean, it's 
clearly become like it's the Norse mythology thing, isn't it? It's the tree of life that he has become the centre of. Yeah, I suppose, you know, you've got the, oh, yeah, there's that world snake. Oh, I forgot about the snake that goes around the world that sort of destroys the world is like Ouroboros, a snake eating its own tail. And, you know, Loki is a snake guy. So there's all this sort of snakes, sort of these eternal snakes and eternal trees. And I did really, really like all of the nods to Norse mythology in it. But I would have, I'd have loved another Norse drinking song. That was so sweet. In the first series. Another thing that was actually pointed out to me was that Loki's last words and the last words to him are exactly the same as his last words and the last words to him at the end of Thor 1. He says, for all of us, for you. In the first Thor movie, it's Odin who says, no, Loki. And then Loki falls into space. At the end of Loki, he says, for all of us, for you. And then Mobius goes, no. And Sylvie goes, Loki. And he goes off and becomes the world tree. That's a really sweet nod. That in the first instance, it was sort of said in frustration and anger. And the no Loki was this sort of rejection of him. Whereas this time when he says it, it's full of love and full of self-sacrifice. And it is with sadness again, but not a frustrated sadness. It's an awareness that this is how he protects the people he loves. And the reply to him is full of love and full of grief at losing him. I just thought that was a really, really nice little switch change However, it did feel like a rushed ending, especially it felt like this is like the end end. There's no cliffhanger. I know that they haven't said absolutely that there won't be a series three, but they'd have to change a lot to make it a series three. It did feel like the end end. And for it to be the end end, it felt very rushed. That it's like just at the end, he just makes this. It is a beautiful decision. It's a gorgeous scene at the end, but it did feel very hurried and yeah I'd have liked you know we had episode five where it was all about his relationship with these people and how much he's grown and how much he's changed because he's allowed people into his life he's allowed himself a found family it would have felt more satisfying if that had been like the whole series rather than just like one episode because they remembered two-thirds of the way into the series who the main character was it also felt they didn't really know what to do about Sylvie. She's just there a lot of the She's time. She's just there being an angry girl. She doesn't do very much. It just felt like all of these brilliant characters that we brought in just in the first series just didn't do very much. B12 hardly does anything. They had a whole episode about this guy who's just like some random guy in the background for a lot of season one. And then suddenly it's like, oh, this guy who wants to be like a film star. It's like, who is he? Why do we care about him so much all of a sudden? This doesn't make... It It kind of felt like, yeah, I will give you Ouroboros. Ouroboros is a really cool new character. But they only had six episodes. And they had these characters that we cared a lot about, that they'd set up a lot about. I wanted to see those guys. And they were just sort of in the background. And even their protagonist was just in the background for a lot of it, as they were just trying to work out what to do with Kang. You know, people love Loki so much. He's such a popular character. And people love him because he is such a little shit. It, but he feels so redeemable and he is redeemable he has redeemed himself both variants of himself have been utterly redeemed and self-sacrificed i'd just like to have seen like a series that's about him he's the titular character to actually be about him and about that growth and about that found family instead of dicking about with like oh the big bad of the whole new series that we don't really know what to do about now i feel like that would have been much more satisfying because people aren't watching it for kang people are 
watching the show Loki for Loki. Well, I have a hard time believing that they have stuck consistently with the line all along that this was all finished and edited and ready to go ages ago and there'd been no reshoots or changes. I'm not sure I believe that. I think mm-hmm. it was possibly originally more episodes and they've cut it down for a number of reasons. And also, it was delayed four or five times. Yeah. And that doesn't happen, really. As well as the obvious reason why they might cut it down and change the ending. I also think that, and I even say this as somebody who has pretty much enjoyed the glaring exception of Secret Invasion, (laughs) you know, to a greater or lesser extent, everything that has come out more recently. I think it had got, particularly with the limited series, too interrelational. The whole continuity needs to be more linear like it was previously. Literally, you know, one thing leads into the next thing. Mm. And not in a way that really requires extensive back knowledge sounds wrong because it's never that but you know what I mean you know it should be reintroducible easily enough and I think it's interesting that this while it relates to the main background continuity it's got almost no direct continuity with anything else at Mm. all and also they've announced this week that Echo despite having Daredevil and the Kingpin that we know of I think there's going to be more people in it will also be while it will have obviously it will follow on to an extent from Hawkeye and into the Daredevil series it will not really depend that much on what else is going on and I can't help wondering if maybe there's a course correction here that they've taken a lot out that would have posed even more headaches down the line for creators and audiences alike yeah maybe but they didn't need to do that what they needed to do was to make a series about the character that they said that it was about and for that to be the story it's quite a modelled storyline but I think the main problem is it forgets who it's about it tries to deal too much with like the big picture stuff whereas they've already brought in that you know this is about variants this is about not the sacred timeline characters so you can have this little pocket universe with this little pocket adventures where there are big stakes but I think the main stakes should be as they remembered in the last two episodes and then just had to do it in a really rushed way the main stakes should be emotional should be character driven as I say it was just disappointing that they didn't make it about the characters that the show was about. I do agree with you that the Groundhog Day episode, as we're mm. officially calling it now, is yeah. absolutely brilliant. And it reminded me, and this is important here, it reminded me, but it didn't make me think they just replicated that episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. from right towards the end, where they're stuck in a time loop that's getting shorter and shorter. And it's only really Daisy that remembers that time is resetting at the start of it each time. And the fact that I thought, this is like that, but I don't feel I've seen it all before, I think just adds to its strength, really. I only really managed to watch the first series of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because in season one I think a character just sat down and told us his emotions and I was like I'm not watching this if you're going to sit down and go hello I am angry about this like no show don't tell yeah I've seen some time loop things and yeah it didn't feel like I'd seen it before except maybe kind of Doctor Who it did feel a little bit Doctor Who-y and I liked Sylvie's haircut I will <laughs> I really like I really like her mullet and I like that like this god has a multitude of things that she can do and what she chooses to do is to live in a truck and eat McNuggets for the rest of her life. That was quite sweet. I hope that that's what she's done now. I hope she's just gone back to working a muck job and living in her truck and just sitting and looking at the stars and eating just the worst food in the world because it's not an apocalypse. But yeah, they really didn't do enough with her. 
she was just sort of stomping about and getting in the way occasionally but at least it felt like they'd given up on the romance it really didn't feel like they were pushing that at all anymore which I think is good I think they should have not done that well I think if they did sort of flirt with it it could have been like a little joke that oh Loki fancies himself and just not pushed it so much because it did feel quite uncomfortable especially since you know they were saying canonically Sylvia's not into it she's like you're just like a weird little kid version of me and it's strange frankly yeah and with the relationship with him and Mobius slash Don as I say it felt like they were doing the thing where they were kind of leaning into that a little bit more basically at the moment so many of my favorite shows good omens our flag means death what we do in the shadows all of these shows have a romance between two middle-aged men where it's actually a romance where they actually do kiss where that tension that chemistry isn't I hate to say queer baiting but because I feel like we sort of got over that but it kind of feels like this is back to it now you've got a character who they have said outright is bisexual which is amazing you've got a titular character in a Disney series who is bisexual great but then they are just not allowing him to have any queer relationships they're not allowing Sylvie to have any queer relationships there's a whole thing where like Don as soon as he sees Loki he mentions that he's single oh sorry I'm a single dad I am a dad but I'm single I am available you should know this and it feels like their relationship feels really flirty they've got that beautiful moment at the end where he does say for all of us for you and it is unclear who he's addressing whether it's Mobius or Sylvie and I liked that but what I didn't like is the, the fact that they keep doing the thing where like Disney and Marvel do this thing where they're like please but us talked about this when we were talking about the first series and the bisexual representation which you know I'm bi I'm it's great to see a bisexual titular character but they keep doing this thing where they ask for applause for these crumbs of representation they don't actually go through with it properly another show that I really really love that I got into after the last podcast about Loki is Owl House which is great they do actually have it on Disney Plus they didn't completely purge it the lead is by and they actually give the lead the girlfriend and the sort of the secondary lead the mentor character is later shown to be bi as well she's in a relationship with a non-binary character and that's brilliant but as soon as the girls started kissing suddenly Owl House had to do its whole third series in three episodes basically they shut it off I think they actually did say it's not in keeping with Disney values whether they didn't mention it was the LGBT plus storyline that wasn't in keeping with Disney's values but they put out this very sort of vague statement that we're stopping doing Owl House it's not really in keeping with our vibe (laughs) they've got three episodes to finish off this like a series worth of storyline which means it did end but it ended very 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 hurriedly they had to really rush a lot of things yeah I'm just I'm kind of sick of Disney's nonsense <laughs> of doing that thing and now they've put it now they've got like Owl House up and they've got on um, Disney Plus they've got this whole sort of section for LGBT plus storylines yay it's like yeah it's an LGBT plus storyline like 
not because of you, but in spite of you. And the ending kind of, it doesn't suck. It is a satisfying ending, but the ending is not what it could have been because of you. I'm just sick of their nonsense. I'd have loved to have seen them explore. It didn't have to be like sort of really sort of a big thing, but like you've said now that your character is bi, you know, can he do anything with that more than like coyly say on a train that he's had boyfriends as well as girlfriends? It would be nice. (laughs) Owen Wilson as a silver fox looks amazing. I want him to lean into that all the time. He looks brilliant with grey hair and a little grey moustache. It feels like a completely different actor to the man who still goes around rocking this sort of year 2000 mop. If he's still a 25-year-old, he looks so much better as Mobius. Just keep him as that. Okay, well, you might already have answered my closing question, but there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Gabby, if you were tasked with the glorious purpose of combining several timelines, what would you use that for? You can have multiple Owen Wilsons if you want. Yeah, no, but how would I use that for good? <laughs> I'd try to do things for the greater good. I don't know. I ugh, I don't know. I probably wouldn't be so selfless as to go and sit on a sad gold throne for all eternity and watch a man watch himself play with his kids. One thing that I did notice is that Loki, when he did sort of give himself the superhero transformation at the end, decided to transform away any socks. Which is <laughs> sitting there for all eternity with really cold feet. I don't know how doing away with your socks is for the greater good, but his feet must be really cold. <laughs> <laughs> he has cold feet like Disney. Ha- Maybe his cold feet represent Disney having cold feet about any actual queer representation. Maybe that. That's what the lack of socks represents. This does not answer your question at all. This is just a joke about socks because I don't know how I'd answer your question. Rather than like when I watched Loki do that, I was like very much not it, please, Loki. I would not like to do that. Uh, If I could combine timelines. Because if you got rid of all the, you can't really get rid of all the bad from the timelines, can you? Because that's sort of, that's Kang nonsense. Because that's a sort of decision about what you do. I don't know. I'd plait them together. I'd make a lace. I'd make a time lace. And it would just look pretty. Well, hopefully that will turn out for the best. Gabby, thank you and Excelsior. (laughs) Thank you. If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book, Can't Help Thinking About Me, at timworthington.org.